You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. In Luke chapter 13, we'll be in verses 10 through 17, and, and as you're turning there, let me pray a quick blessing over God's word. Father, thank you for uh, your word. God, thank you for um, this uh, text and this, this story that we're going to dive into uh, this evening. Uh, Lord, I just, I'm just really want to uh, just lay this message in front of you. I want to lay the scriptures in front of you. I want to lay uh, our gathered group of people in front of you this evening and just ask that you, by the power of your spirit, would be present and that you would speak powerfully, intimately, personally, and corporately tonight. I pray, God, that the preaching of your word would save some this evening and encourage and challenge others. We pray those things, trust you to do it. We just ask, Jesus, that you would meet us in this place tonight and that you would continue to set us free. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So a couple of just uh, questions as I kind of lead in uh, to this text this evening. I want you to be thinking about this. Like, have you ever felt so completely, like, unable, inadequate, uh, just unable to move forward, like stuck, stuck in, in a place and unable to do anything? Like, feel like there's a, a dense fog or, or, uh, or a crippling weight maybe on your shoulders or, or like, you're stuck in, like, complete and utter darkness. You ever had those seasons where you kind of feel that way, helpless, despair, maybe seasons of real deep and dark depression, things that, things that kept like a really tight grip on you in such a way that you almost felt like helplessly suffocating. Never had those seasons in your life. I personally have faced really intense and difficult like seasons of depression and sadness to the point to where I wasn't sure like how I would even continue to move forward, like how to even take the next step. I've spent long nights grippled, crippled, <laughs> with like complete, uh, like utter fear, like gripped with fear to the extent that I just could not sleep. Like a deep sense of abiding anxiety where I couldn't shut my brain down. Maybe a sense of almost like, uh, kind of like mind numbing or like heart uh, wrenching seasons of just pain. I imagine that most of us have walked through seasons like that. Walked through deep and dark, hard seasons of like painful betrayal by really close friends and sometimes um, people that were even family members at times that have left me feeling wounded and scarred and unable to breathe and know how to move forward. I experienced uh, what it was like a couple of years ago to watch my mom die in a very painful way. And to be near her bedside every single day for a number of weeks, and then just to watch her slip away as cancer ripped its way through her body. Struggled with long seasons of painful hurt, crippling fears, debilitating, debilitating like anxiety, overwhelming depression. I imagine I'm not alone in this. I imagine we have all faced seasons like that. If not, some of us are even in those seasons right now as I speak. This is the reason that this text that we're going to dive into in a minute is so important for us tonight. The reason that this text is so important is, is what we learn is that even though sin 
Even though sin has seriously crippled the way that we relate to God and others, Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. Thank you for that. There should be an amen there, right? Let me say it again. Like, even though sin has seriously crippled the way that we relate to God and others, Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. Like, that's the joy that we have when we believe and we trust in the gospel. And when we cling to the cross of Christ, we know that he meets us there. He's not far off from us. He's not playing hide and seek from us. He's not, he's not standing back and going, well, I'm just going to wait to meet you there until you do X, Y, and Z. No, he meets us there immediately and he sets us free. He doesn't leave us in bondage. He doesn't leave you crippled. He doesn't leave you under the weight of those things in which you walked in with tonight that might hold you back. He sets you free. I preach this message to myself on a daily basis. So it gives me great joy to preach this message to you guys this evening because I know that I'm not alone in these same struggles. Look at Luke 13, starting in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. There are four things in this text. There are four things that I really want us to kind of key in on that might help to kind of frame out our conversation as we study this through. Four things. One, a disabled woman. Two, Jesus the healer. Three, a critical leader, and four, Jesus' rebuke. We will kind of dive into all four of those things in the next few moments together. My hope is that God would use these things to really challenge us and encourage us and even bring healing. Philip Ryken in his commentary on this selection and section of text reminds us this. It reminds us that Adam and Eve were not created disabled. Let's just think about this for a minute. Adam and Eve were not created disabled. And their children never would have been disabled unless sin had entered the world. What Riken is doing is just underscoring kind of this big idea, this big truth that I've already communicated. And he's doing it with kind of the broader context of Scripture for us. He's just reminding us that even though sin is seriously crippled, the way that we relate to God and relate to others, Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. 
Think about this with me for a minute. Think about these questions and just for a moment. If you need to just like close your eyes, promise you don't fall asleep. Tyler, it's okay. I know your eyes are closed most of the time anyways. And so if you need to close your eyes and just try to visualize the answers to these questions as they kind of float by, like let the Holy Spirit just apply these to your mind and to your heart. How do you engage your disabilities, your weaknesses, and your shortcomings in a way that connects with Jesus as your healer rather than separating you from the pipelines of God's grace. How do you respond to the offer of freedom that Jesus extends to you? What's your response when you hear that extension? Have you been wounded? Have you been wounded by a critical spirit of someone close to you? Do you you maybe have a critical spirit that has crippled your ability to receive from Jesus? Do you maybe have a critical spirit that disables your ability to be God's extension of grace to other people who are struggling? And like when you hear Jesus uh, rebuking your sinfulness, how do you respond? When Jesus corrects your deceived and misguided attempts to live religiously with your check marks of religious behavior, how do you respond in those moments when Jesus confronts that as you wrestle with those questions? Please remember, all the way through this message, remember this one statement. Though sin has seriously crippled the way we relate to God and others, Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. Verses 10 through 11, we see a disabled woman. We see a disabled woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And her disability was so terrible that she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Can you imagine what that might be like to have been unable to walk in the upright position for 18 years? Not being able to look someone in the eye? Not being able to do the normal household things? Not being able to maybe uh, engage in other community activities without experiencing deep and excruciating pain? Not being able to engage in those normal things like potlucks and holiday gatherings without undergoing like these extra steps of preparation that everybody else takes for granted. The thing about this woman is that regardless of her disability, I want you to notice with me that she must have gone the extra mile to be present and available while Jesus, the text tells us, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Don't know if she was a regular attendee, but we do know that Jesus refers to her as a daughter of Abraham in verse 16. And this teaches us that this woman was considered a member of the household of faith. She was considered a member of the gathered community of worshipers, a member of the church. When Jesus uses that language, a daughter of Abraham, it's because she has become a covenant member. He's quoting common language from the Old Testament, which would let us know she was a covenant member of the gathered people. But what's the gospel application here as we engage this woman, this disabled woman in the text? As we, as we meet her, I am, I am struck with her presence among the gathered community of people. She was known. They knew her. And it appears to me that this, this woman was not letting her disability get in the way of her gathering with the people of God to worship God and be in Jesus' presence. 
her disability or her weakness wasn't controlling the way that she engaged the community of God. This is one pipeline for God's grace for us, the community of God. Now, don't hear me wrong. Just to combat this as I speak, don't hear me wrong as I speak. Don't hear harsh tones from my words or from my lips. There can be very, very legitimate seasons and reasons for being unable to gather with the community of God. Bed rest and hospitalization, severe seasons of sickness, death of a loved one, and many other things that could be added to the list. There are many times when there's a season where it will be difficult for us to gather with the community of God. But this woman with this disabling spirit teaches us that it's very important to make war against those physical and spiritual conditions that seek to control us and draw us away from fellowship with the church family. I'm also struck with this fact that this, this woman has been the victim of a disabling spirit for 18 years. This phrase, disabling spirit, if you could underline that or circle that, it's only used once in the scriptures, one time, and it's right here used by Dr. Luke. We know that Luke, who authored the Gospel of Luke about Jesus, was a doctor, a physician, and he's writing with intense detail and attention to detail as he writes, like a good doctor would, very administratively, point by point. And he's wanting to drive home the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. He came to do what he said he's going to do, and he's continuing to do what he said he was going to do, and he's going to complete what he said he would complete someday, and he wants us to have certainty about that. And as he writes, he uses this word, a disabling spirit, to describe this woman. I think his purpose is this. I think he uses this phrase intentionally to teach us that even though we struggle in this life, we struggle with many things that could cripple us and seek to disable us. Those things that we struggle with because of the effects of this sin-stricken world that we live in. I think Luke wants us to know that we can be like this woman in our commitment to being available and present among God's people. Just by way of like life application for each of us. When you think about this woman and you think about this portion of our text, like again, how do you engage your disabilities and your weaknesses? How do you engage your shortcomings in a way that actually connects you with Jesus and acts like a pipeline for God's grace rather than allowing it to control you and consume you in a way that takes you away and cuts you away from God's grace? I mean, you think of the different ploys of Satan and the way that he would seek to steal and to kill and to devour and to destroy. And this could be just one of those, one of those small ways that, that Satan as a lion has been, has been thinking and scheming about cutting us away from the flock. The, the ones that Jesus, or not, not Jesus, but the Satan goes after are the ones that he has sought to weaken. And as he weakens you and I, for him, he believes that's a time when he can get in and, and take cuts at you or I. And in those moments, like as we come face to face with our physical and spiritual disabilities and our weaknesses, are, are those becoming moments where Satan can kind of get an edge in? Or are we seeing these as pipelines for God's grace? In what ways have your weaknesses become the source of excuses for being disengaged with the family of God? How could you and I take a lesson from this disabled woman and be encouraged 
to be available and present among God's people. My prayer is for us is this, that we, that we would all spend time asking the Holy Spirit to like, apply the picture of this disabled woman and her, her presence among God's people. And we would apply that to our hearts and our souls because just as Jesus meets this woman and sets her free, so we too can trust that even though sin has seriously crippled the way that we relate to God and others. Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. The second part, the text that we look at in verses 12 through 13, we, we meet Jesus the healer. We meet Jesus the healer and Luke tells us that when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Listen, listen, this disabled woman had been weakened by a spirit that had, had crippled the way she had lived for 18 years. But Jesus sees her, he calls her, he speaks to her, he touches her, and he sets her free. This is a massive thing that has just happened. It's far too easy just to read past it in the text and not catch the important implications of what has just happened. Disabled woman who could barely walk, but chose instead not to let her physical or spiritual circumstances control her interaction with the church family or God, has this encounter with Jesus to the extent that she is completely healed. What's her response? Response is she glorifies God, she praises God, she makes a bunch of noise about Jesus in front of a bunch of people. She praises him for his miraculous work in her life. This disabled woman met Jesus, the healer, and her life was radically altered. It's changed. Like in what ways does the gospel kind of make connections and apply to what we're discussing here? And one commentary on this text said that while Satan comes to cruelly cripple us, Jesus comes to compassionately cure us. Let me read that again. While Satan, I'm not getting the appropriate response here, so I'm going to go back to it. While Satan comes to cruelly cripple us, you ready? You like getting energy going? Jesus comes to compassionately cure us. Amen. Right? Right? That, that deserves a round of applause. Like even though Satan comes to like in his cruelty cripple us and disable us and keep us down under his thumb, Jesus comes and compassionately gives us the cure that our hearts and our souls and our bodies completely need. Like this is what Jesus does. This is the picture of who Jesus is. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees your struggle. He sees your sin. He sees your weaknesses. He sees your wounds. He's not turning a blind eye to it. He's not sitting in the corner ignoring you. He knows your name. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. There's nothing that Jesus doesn't know about you, and he sees it all. Every piece, every good thing, every bad thing that's ever happened, he was there. He didn't abandon you. He didn't leave you. Though you and I feel that way sometimes, those are lies from the pit of hell and they're lies from Satan because my Bible teaches me and it's teaching us tonight that what Jesus does is he meets us in our weakness. He meets us in our weakness and he sets us free and he heals us. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. 
never turns his back on you or I. He sees us, he knows our names. Somebody said this to me this week. Somebody said, and the only person who expects Joe to be perfect is Joe. Man. Amen? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and some of you don't know, but like even last week, right, it's my birthday, right? You guys were so good. Like you, I love the way you guys have loved our family and done the things that you guys have done. I don't know what was wrong. I woke up last Sunday and I just was under a weight of depression. I've been struggling with some real deep, dark uh, depression and just dark thoughts and I don't know why. I mean, I've got some ideas uh, from my childhood and from things that have happened in the last number of years, but I've just struggled so bad. There are, there are some Sunday nights when I come to step into them. My wife has been praying for me every Sunday that before I get up here. There's some Sundays I come up here and I feel crippled by fear, afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. I mean, this, my fear and my issue in this area is small compared to what many of you may struggle with. I just want to let you know I'm with you. But uh, somebody in our congregation uh, just noticed that and sent me a message, and I, was, I just kind of was like, well, here's where it's at, here's where I've been, and that was, that was what she said in the, in the message. And in that moment, it was the same darn thing like my wife had been saying to me for a long time. The only difference in this, a lot of people will tell you, right? A lot of people will say, hey, you're the only one that's expecting you to be perfect, but there's a difference here. There was a personal, personal touch. Only Joe expects Joe to be perfect. This is the way Jesus speaks to you and I. He doesn't speak to you or I like he doesn't know you. He doesn't speak to you or I using pronouns. He speaks to you or I using our names. And in that moment when you know, Jesus sees you and he speaks to you and he calls you. doesn't leave you stuck in your weaknesses. He calls out to you. He even touches you. For Jesus in this text to have touched this woman, let alone a sick, disabled woman, according to some Jewish laws, would have been wrong. But Jesus reaches out and he touches her. And this is what Jesus does for you and I. He sees us, he knows us, he hears us, he speaks to us, he calls out to us. But not only that, but he touches us in the midst of our weakness. And he breathes strength and life and healing. Another thing that strikes me about Jesus the healer, as we meet him in this text. Jesus the healer is not a man who, when he sees you, when he sees you, he's not looking upon you with eyes that are ready to take advantage of you. When Jesus the healer sees you, when he looks upon you, he's not looking to take advantage of you. He's not, like one commentator said, when he looks at you, he looks at you with pornless eyes. He looks at you with pornless eyes. Let's just think about this for a minute. Like you may not go home tonight and actively click on the internet and look at pornography. But if you go home and you turn your TV on, you wait long enough. It's not just half-naked women, but it's dudes without their shirts on. That's chick porn, okay? It's the same thing. We have all been so inundated with self-gratification through our television sets and many other things, that when we look upon other people, it's hard for us to understand what it is to look upon other people with pornless eyes. And when Jesus sees you and he looks upon you, he looks upon you in a way that is not bringing self-gratification to himself. He's not frustrated with you. He's not one that looks upon you with great expectations of how you will serve his self-gratification. He doesn't call you to himself so that he can load you down with a task of lists of do's and don'ts. He doesn't, he doesn't touch you with provocative impulses. 
When Jesus, the healer, sees you, he calls you, he speaks to you, and he touches you so that you can be set free from the things that have weakened you and disabled you for so long. Jesus, the healer, encounters you and I so that we can be set free completely. And the word in the text is immediately. Immediately. So, how do you respond? How do you respond to this kind of an offer of of freedom that Jesus extends to you and I? Have you been disabled from the provocative and selfish touch of another human being? Are you struggling with your own self-gratifying tendencies towards sinful touch even? Have you been hurt in a crippling way by the words of other people? Are you struggling with the way you speak crippling words to other people? How do you respond to Jesus who speaks words of acceptance and healing to you and I? Are you ready to encounter Jesus immediately, right now, in this space, in this moment, in a way that sets you free to praise God radically as he designed you to. My prayer is that we would all spend time letting the Holy Spirit examine us and apply this reality of Jesus, the healer's encounter with a disabled woman to our hearts and souls because here's the deal, I've said it a few times already. Like even though sin has seriously crippled and disabled the way we relate to each other and relate to God. Jesus meets us in our weakness and he sets us completely free. Good job, good job. Verse 14, verse 14 is an interesting section of text. I could spend a long time here. I'm gonna try not to. I'm gonna try to keep us moving. Verse 14, we meet a critical leader. Everybody go, oh man. Now, now, as we go there, here's what I want you to think. The problem is not them, the problem is me. Okay, everybody say that. The problem is not them, the problem is me. I am my biggest problem, okay? And we all need to be thinking that as we read this. Because as we read this next section of text, it can be all too easy for us to go, oh yeah, I knew a, I knew a critic once, I knew that guy. Man, he was a jerk, right? I want us all to apply this to ourselves over the next few moments. Let's just get a real severe kind of inward focus for a moment. And take a look at what we learn. Verse 14, we meet this critical leader who was the ruler of the synagogue, right? Means that he was responsible for the orderly gathering of God's people. And what we learn is that this ruler of the synagogue was a highly critical leader who was indignant. The text actually says indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now the problem with this text is a lot of guys when they preach it, they make the whole big deal all about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is definitely a piece of it and we're going to dive into it. This is just one of the issues. This leader was indignant, or in other words, he was offended by Jesus. Grapple with that for a minute. I'll just be silent. The dude was offended by Jesus. He was offended by Jesus because Jesus wasn't on the agenda for that gathering. Jesus wasn't uh, there uh, uh, to serve him. He He wasn't part of the organizational setup for that meeting of that day. And in fact, if Jesus had asked to be on the agenda, the ruler probably wouldn't have put him on the agenda because his man made book of rules, it was not allowed to do healings on the Sabbath. So, this critical leader who is indignant or offended by the way that Jesus is ministering to a disabled woman is now healed, speaks to the people. This is what he does, right? Right? The leader gets offended. This critical dude gets offended. And instead of actually speaking right to the woman or even to Jesus, he just starts addressing the crowd. He won't even address the healed woman personally by name. 
Notice the stark contrast between this critical leader who won't even give this woman who has struggled with things that he knows nothing about. He knows nothing about her struggle. Nothing. He hasn't even taken the time to find out what's going on in her life. Notice the stark contrast between the things he knows nothing about and even the tiniest shred of respect for addressing her personally or even privately. This critical leader sees this woman as yet another opportunity to stand in front of people and make himself look good by using her as an impersonal example or an object lesson on what appropriate behavior in the church looks like. Hmm. He says there are six days. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. You see yourself, just a glimpse of yourself even in, in this? Critical of others, maybe? Disconnected from others? Maybe using others as a launching pad for you? Jesus, please help every one of us in this room as we struggle with this implication for our own hearts and souls. Because every one of us is guilty of this, right? Every one of us has fallen into this trap of dehumanizing another person because of our critical and offended spirit. This critical leader is a reflection of each of us in our deep, deep, deep need for an authentic encounter with Jesus. The the woman was encountering Jesus in a a profound way, in a a massive way, and this, this critical leader has not been able to encounter him yet because he hasn't gotten past the tip of his own nose a deep need of an encounter with Jesus. And we can all relate to him this way because the reality is that this leader was just as disabled, just as crippled as this woman who'd been healed by Jesus earlier. Jesus is standing right there, just as he is right now, standing right here in our midst by the power of the Spirit, through the power of the preaching of his word. Jesus is here in our midst, ready to do miraculous things right in front of our eyes, but sometimes our critical spirits can blind us because we've been offended, because things don't go according to the planned agenda in our minds. Ever been wounded by the critical spirit of someone close to you? Yeah. Do you have a critical spirit, though? Do you have a critical spirit that, that cripples your ability to receive from Jesus? Do you have a critical spirit that disables your ability to be God's extension of grace to others who are struggling? You've been offended by people in the church family maybe because they didn't behave according to your preconceived man-made book of rules? My prayer is that we would all spend time Reflecting on this one. Reflecting on the fact that the reality is that Jesus, the healer, encounters this disabled woman and then now encounters this critical leader. And for us and our hearts and souls, uh, we, can, we can see Jesus in this way that even though sin has disabled the way that we relate to God and others, Jesus meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free from these things verses 14 or 15 through 17, we follow this critical leader's kind of outburst and we see Jesus' rebuke. Verses 15 through 17, we hear Jesus' rebuke of the critical leader and really any who would listen to him or mimic his behavior when he says this, says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away 
to water it? So what Jesus does is he rebukes the critical leader and anyone who behaves like him because their behavior, or I could say our behavior, is oftentimes based upon man-made rule books, which then elevate the thoughts and the desires of man above the thoughts and the desires of God. That's what's happening. This critical leader was saying, well, this is the way it ought to go. Like, the line for the potluck ought to go around this way, not that way. And if it goes around that way while you're on the way, if you stop and talk about Jesus, you're holding up the dang line, so get moving. Like, I'm not pointing the finger at you guys, I'm pointing the finger at me, because I do that sometimes. I'm in a hurry to get to the food. And what happens? What happens when I'm in a hurry to get to the food? Who gets lost and trampled in the middle of that? People. People get lost and trampled in the middle of that. Jesus rebukes me and rebukes you in the midst of this. I say, you hypocrites. Like you've taken your man-made desires and you've elevated them above the thoughts and the desires of God. Jesus specifically rebukes the hypocritical belief and practice of the religious leaders of that day. Here's what they basically said. Catch this. Listen, seriously. Religious leaders of that day and us, if we're to be honest, we oftentimes say that it's cool to care for things that don't carry the image of God while neglecting the care for our neighbor's needs. Jesus, therefore, underscores his point when he asks this. He says, hey, he says, hey, hey, shouldn't this woman, shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a member of your church family, someone who is here, who's been bound for 18 years by Satan, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? I mean, isn't the gathered church family about being set free by Jesus? Isn't, aren't I supposed to be the point? That's what Jesus is saying. Isn't Jesus supposed to be the point of our gathering? Shouldn't we be set free because of that? Are your preferential personal man-made rules more important than the physical and spiritual needs of people who are sitting right next to you? Everybody look to your right. I know it's dark in here. Look to your right real fast. Do you know that person's name? You don't have to answer. Just think about it. If there's nobody there, then sorry. Every illustration breaks down. Look to your left. Do you know that person's name? Look behind you, the person sitting right behind you. Do you know that person's name? Just look around. How many people do you know sitting here right now? You may know their name, but have you reached out and touched? Have you reached out and talked? Have you reached out and called? Do you know the needs? Let me tell you something. It is not just a certain select group of people in our church whose responsibility it is to reach out to each other. That's our job as a church family. Our job. It's hard. Hard. We've got to step outside of ourselves and do that. And we see this. We see this in Jesus here as he reaches out to this woman. And we see this dude's issues as he criticizes. Jesus answers back and he's like, hey man, like the Sabbath day is where people should be set free. So when Jesus drops this bomb, text tells us that his adversaries were completely put to shame. While others, there were some, his adversaries put to shame, while others rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. In other words, the people that were responsible for creating, the people responsible for creating this religious, man-made, performance-based, rule-keeping atmosphere, they were now upset. They were put to shame. While others who had been bearing the weight the ones who had been bearing the weight of this religious 
man-made, performance-based, rule-keeping atmosphere, they were now rejoicing because Jesus was setting them free. Jesus' sharp and harsh rebuke harshly shames those who are opposed to him and are offended by him while setting others who are under the weight of spiritual disability free. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So when Jesus comes to set us free, his rebuke of our hypocritical hearts is freeing. If it's freeing to you, you're hearing his voice. If this is offensive to you, I pray that you would hear his voice. His reminder that people are more important than policies and practices is freeing, and it could set us all free. We are disabled spiritually when we attempt to teach others to observe religious, man-made, performance-based, rule-keeping at the expense of caring mercifully and lovingly for people who are struggling. Jesus comes to set us free, right? He comes to set us free from the bonds of satanic oppression. He lifts, he lifts the heavy burden and weight, and he frees us from the shackles of critical hypocrisy. When you hear Jesus rebuking your sinfulness, how do you respond? How do you react when, when Jesus corrects your deceived and misguided attempts to live religiously Do you feel ashamed or angry or do you feel joyful? We see both responses in the text. And my hope is that God would infuse like a deep and abiding sense of joy in us for this reason. Even though sin has seriously crippled the way that we relate to God and others, Jesus comes and he meets us in our weaknesses and he what? Sets us free. Amen? I'm going to conclude with a few extra thoughts as I invite our music team to come forward and our communion service as we dive into kind of wrapping up our time together in communion. And as we conclude our time together, I want us to be reminded and be rejoicing in the picture and the power of the cross of Christ. Is the cross of Christ is what we cling to. The cross of Christ is what we celebrate together. The cross of Christ is where we find freedom in Christ. Cross of Christ as we reflect on the freedom we find in Christ as we consume the elements of communion. The bread and the juice which symbolizes and reminds us of the broken body and the shed blood of our perfect and sinless Savior who came to lay it all on the line for us so that we could be set free. As we engage in communion, we are reminded of the freedom that we find in Christ, that even though sin has crippled the way that we live in so many terrifyingly drastic ways, Jesus comes and he meets us in our weaknesses and he sets us free. He he sets us free from everything that holds us in bondage. he, He sets us free to praise him. He he takes us from those places and those things which which seek to constrict us and hold us back, the things that seek to devour and destroy us. Those sinful patterns, those sinful thought patterns, those sinful behaviors, those self-gratifying, self-destructive 
warlike tendencies against God, those things which hold us back, Jesus comes and meets us there. Comes and meets us there so we can be set free from that bondage and set free by the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus and by our faith and our trust in him, we're able to follow him and follow really hard after him, laying it all on the line in the same way that he laid it on the line for us. If you're here with us this evening and you're a believer, you don't have to be a member of our church. You can just come in a moment with everyone else. The servers here in the front will be happy to serve you the elements. If you're here and you're not a believer and, and you're just checking it out and you're like, I don't know about all this. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. Then we ask you don't engage in communion. Not because we don't want you to, because we really want you to. But we don't want you to engage in something just because it's a mere practice of the church and that you'll feel weird sitting there. We'd be overjoyed if there are some of you sitting there because that means you're still kind of just wrestling but even in these moments, like right now in these moments, you could be saying, I see, I see my heart. I see my life. I know I've lived a long ways from Christ. I, I've not trusted in him. I've not believed him. I've lived under this weight for a long time. And I'm just here tonight trying to figure out what end is up or down. But one thing I do here is that Jesus can set me free because he was perfect. Though I'm imperfect, though I acted like an enemy of God, I can now be made a family member of God. Though I once was somebody who was like the recipient of God's wrath because of the way that I lived, because of Jesus I've been adopted, I've been made a family member, I'm now a recipient of God's love. If that's you, like in these moments right now, you're like, I surrender it all to Jesus. Then we invite invite you to come with the rest of the family, come with the rest of the family remembering that even though sin seriously crippled the way that we relate to God and others, Jesus comes and he meets us right here. He meets you and I. He meets you, Jordan. He meets you, Michael. He meets you, Brian, Christy. He meets you personally. He meets you, Deb. He meets you, Faith, he meets you, Eric, Casey, Ryan, he, he meets you, Dave, I can't see everybody, he meets you personally right here, and even though I don't know your name, he knows your name, and he meets you right here in your weaknesses, and he's here to set you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for this message, or as we engage in communion over the next few moments, Help us to do this as an act of worship and love towards you because you have loved us so well. I pray for everybody who is present. I know there are many who have needs. I pray, God, this would even be a moment where they would be set free. Lord, as a few of us gather in the front to serve those communion elements, I pray, God, this would just be a time where you have just served us well. I pray, Lord, for the few of us that will be up front praying with people. I pray, God, that if there are people here that have needs, that they would be set free to come and receive that ministry of prayer. Lord, we just love you. Thank you. Thank you for being present among us. Thank you for meeting us here in the mess of this life and this world. Thank you. Thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Please stand and worship with us. Feel free to come forward and engage in communion. Feel free to meet one or two of us in the front for personal prayer if you have prayer for needs. Thanks for letting me preach tonight. I love you guys a ton.
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 